BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews. Presented by IV Creative. Now. Here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews. Presented by IV Creative, it's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and a pleasant and very happy new year to everyone out there across the world, stateside and worldwide. Thank you so much for tr- for tuning in. It's 2022, y'all. What a great, great time it has been. 2021, as far as the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast is concerned, had a record year. The numbers were outstanding on all the different platforms out there. A lot of good things happening. We want to thank all of you again for making last year such a smashing success. And this year will be just as big a success, if not more. Got a lot of big things coming in the pipeline this year. So again, we want to thank all the fans again for all of your support, for continuing to pour into this show and continuing to support us. As you heard in our opening, we have a new Facebook group, a private group, the Vault Podcast Record Club. You'll see that in the show notes, the link to join that group if you're on Facebook, if you're a fan of the show. Feel free to click that link and join. Answer a few questions and you're in. We definitely are going to have some great interactions this year, some live chats. Also, we're going to have a few giveaways and some exclusives there. I want to make sure that you are in there to make sure that you don't miss out. So please join the Vault Podcast Record Club. And of course, our Buy Me a Coffee. If you support the show and you want to say thank you and you want to help the show keep going, of course, on our website, vaultclassicpod.com bottom left hand corner the coffee cup click on that that will take you right there so you can donate to the show any contribution is greatly appreciated and ensures that we continue to open the vault as we always say here on the vault our motto is hashtag open the vault hashtag nothing but the classics or mbtc and and this year at the start of a new year for 2022 we start with a brand new set of years yes As you know, here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews, what we do is we review classic and potential classic albums during their 20th, 25th, and 30th anniversary dates. And this year brings a new set of years and a new set of possibilities as well. And we're excited about it. So this year on the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast, we'll be covering albums from the years 1992, 1997, and 2002. All albums that I will be celebrating their 20th, 25th, and 30th anniversaries this year. 
And we're excited to get into it because if you look at the years and the albums that came out during that time, it's going to be very interesting to say the least for a few of these years and the albums that came out, monumental albums. So we're excited to get into it. So let's get right to it. This is our preview in the year that was. And this episode, we're going to jump right into it, into the first of the years, which will be 1992, 30 years ago. (laughs) It's crazy that we've gotten to this point now and me on the cusp of being 40 that thinking back on that time that it was a long time ago, but in some respects feels like it was just yesterday, especially with a lot of the things that we'll be talking about during this preview of 1992 and the things that we'll cover this year. But just to give you an idea of some of the things that happened during 1992. Now, as I mentioned, I was about 10 years old, turning 10 that year. During 1992, I was in the fifth grade and, you know, I was, Coming up and, you know, at that point I'm hitting double digits. And (laughs) I remember the one thing about that year is that I had a really big 10th birthday party with a lot of my friends. And, uh, you know, we had cake and ice cream and all that other stuff. A lot of my friends were over there and we watched movies. And I think the movie we ended up watching was actually, I think, the Turtles, like the second Turtles movie, Secret of the Ooze with Super Shredder. Like, (laughs) I was a really big Ninja Turtles fan back then. So, you know, we had a lot of great things like, you know, 10 year old's birthday party, which you could expect as far as the things and everything else like that. It was really fun. One of my most memorable birthday parties, if I can actually say so, but that year of 1992, a lot of things happening in the world, also pop culture, and especially with hip hop and R and B music. I would like to say that 1992 was the year that outside of just being around my sisters um, that I really started to take, pay attention and listen to music myself, meaning that turning on the radio and turning on the television and watching music videos and really paying attention to who was coming out at that time. That's when I think I really started to build my musical identity as far as the things that I wanted to listen to at that point in that stage of my life. So let's go to 1992. Now, a few things just to talk about as far as what happened in the world current events wise before we get into the music. Now, one of the things that I think everyone will remember 1992 about, and this was a big thing when I was in school, because at that age, you, you're kind of aware of what's going on because you're watching the news, but you don't really understand why. But this was one of the things that I saw on the news that where the events happened, and I think it was my first, at least that I can remember, my first cognizant recognition of seeing racism and the effect that racism and how when people are angry, how badly things can go when people get fed up. And of course, what I'm talking about, the first thing that I'll mention during 1992 was the 92 LA riots. Now, again, this was in response to, in particular, what the riots were about was about the Rodney King verdict or the verdict in the Rodney King cakes of the four cops who were caught on video beating Rodney King um, on tape and that um, really like even seeing that videotape and watching the video of that beating was something that was very jarring, even at 10 years old, like even then I knew that something was wrong. Like that shouldn't happen. Like the police shouldn't be doing things like that to people. Now (laughs) that was also in my, my naive state as well, because obviously it was something that would come to be a, a recurring occurrence through a number of different events throughout the year with the interactions between black people and also with members of law enforcement. But the four cops were put on trial. They 
had their trial. It was actually, I believe, if when I understand, outside of, I guess, downtown L.A. or the city proper happened, I believe. I want to say maybe in Santa Monica. And the four officers were all acquitted. All of them were all charges. They weren't found guilty of anything. And I think that this led up to a couple of, led up to a few things that have been happening in Los Angeles for a few years. As everyone remembers, the Rodney King beating happened. And you remember watching that videotape happened on March 3rd, 1991. And about 13 to 14 days later, almost two weeks afterwards, is when Latasha Harlins was shot by the Korean shop owner. Latasha Harlins being the 16 year old girl who was being accused of shoplifting, um, stealing some orange juice was accused by the shop owner. And then when she turned around to leave, the shop owner shot her in the back of the head and the shop owner went to trial, was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, but was only given community service and was given no jail time. She was only charged with time served. Another thing that the black community in LA was outraged by. So you have two things happening within a couple of weeks, the beating of Rodney King by the four LA police officers after they had pulled him over, after he was under the influence of alcohol, drugs, and the shooting Latasha Harlins by the Korean shop owner. Two things that really kind of struck at the gut as black people in Los Angeles and what has been simmering tensions between both black people in the law enforcement community in LA and also through black people and eventually which will be problems and tensions between them and the Korean community, particularly those who opened up stores in the black community. So the Rodney King verdict happens. The four police officers are actually acquitted. Not too long before that, there was an appeals ruling to overturn the decision in regards to the sentencing for the uh, shop owner in the Latasha Harlins case. And a panel ended up upholding that ruling. So these happened probably within about a week of each other as well. But the catalyst of it was definitely the verdict in the Rodney King case. And not too long after the verdict happened, it was like chaos had ensued in Los Angeles. And from watching it on the television from almost 3000 miles away, I literally thought it looked like Armageddon. Like it looked like the worst that I had seen. I mean, the, the views of businesses being set on fire and gunfire and people in the streets. And the fact that it was just, it seemed like chaos and the rest of the country. And I wouldn't even say a good portion of, the rest of the world saw that, and I think a lot of us were in shock. I mean, for those of us who were, like, young, like myself, we were in shock watching that. But I think a good portion of black America kind of saw it, and it was just like, hmm, yeah. I'm not saying that it's right, but I understand. And it's so funny that these things happen, and history keeps repeating itself. Because you would think that, okay, oh, something like this with 92 with L.A. is not going to happen again. Yeah, (laughs) we've seen, especially over these last, let's say, 24 months, that history has definitely repeated itself. So that unrest happens in L.A., and eventually things get so bad that uh, I think that the LAPD, they eventually, I don't want to say give up, because, I mean, I watched documentaries, the L.A. in 92 documentary that happened, I think, on A&E. There was also a big portion of this was covered on the O.J. Made in America uh, documentary, which was on 30 for 30 ESPN. They, I don't want to say that they gave up, but eventually when you're f- facing that much chaos, there's only but so much that you can do. And as a result of that, the National Guard was called in. And when the National Guard was called in, then shit finally calmed down. And But it was really a, a lot of damage had been done, and especially South Central, that part of L.A. 
that it took a few years for them to really fully be able to recover. Businesses were burned. People, you know, a few people, you know, had been injured badly. The one scene I know that all of us will remember was when uh, people pulled Reginald Denny, the white truck driver, out of his truck and they beat him on camera with the helicopter circling above. That was really, you know, that was jarring in itself as well. So just uh, one of the things from 92 that I remember really the most. Other things that happened in 92. That was the year that the Barcelona Olympics, the Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona happened. And I remember being on, obviously, summer vacation in between and watching that. And we used to get up, you know, stay up late at night to be able to watch some of the events that were happening. The biggest thing, obviously, during the 92 Barcelona Olympics was the dream team. And that was what we wanted to stay up to watch and make sure that we could, you know, catch on the odd hours was watching the dream team perform. And you had the dream team, a team made up of 12 Hall of Famers, college basketball, but mostly the basketball Hall of Fame Hall of Famers. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pimpin, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Chris Mullen, Clyde Drexler, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, even Christian Leitner. <laughs> you know, all these Hall of Famers that were on this team definitely has been called by a lot of people the greatest basketball team ever assembled. They rolled through the competition. It was the first time that the Olympics were allowed to use professional athletes, which was kind of a misnomer because when a lot of these teams were playing athletes from other countries, specifically from like Soviet Union and Yugoslavia, these uh, you know players were professional basketball players in their own countries. They had played. I mean, players like Vladi Divac and the late Drazen Petrovic and Tony Kukoc had played on professional basketball teams in Europe. Um, they were young, but, you know, they had played professional basketball before. And the U.S. up to that point had sent nothing but their college players. And they had managed to win the gold medal at every Olympics except for 1988, which spurred the change where, you know, they won the bronze medal. That team that had a lot of college players, some of them as well, I believe, had David Robinson, I want to say as well, had uh, Dan Marley and a couple other players that was coached by John Thompson that won the bronze in Seoul. And 1972, where the Soviet Union had that controversial upset of the U.S. and Munich, where the silver medal winning basketball team from the U.S. still refuses to accept their silver medals. They weren't even on the medal stand. So it was really entertaining to be able to watch them. The dominance, yeah, it was It was at that point that a lot of people will point to that basketball tournament with the Dream Team is what helped to spur the international growth of the game of basketball to where you saw the inter influx of international players to what we see now in the NBA, but especially later in the 90s and into the 2000s, where you saw those big international superstars come out of the development of the game worldwide. So that was entertaining to watch. Other things that happened as well, Dr. Mae Jameson became the first black woman to travel into space. And being in elementary school, being at an elementary school with uh, middle black, middle, middle class black kids and, and being around teachers that really wanted to teach you your history, that was something that was a big deal to a lot of us and especially to a lot of black girls that grew up because they always knew that astronauts were mostly white, but then if they were black, they were black men, not black women. So Dr. Mae Jameson being able to accomplish that was something that was a big deal to us at that age, to see that actually happening. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Also in 1992, a new president, Bill Clinton, was elected as president after, you know, there being Republican presidents for so long. And that led us into the 90s, which bit, which definitely was an interesting decade in politics. Um, obviously, we can go into so many different reasons for why. And he led the country through the decade into the new millennium. So, you know, a lot of things happening there in regards to the country and news. Now, as far as other things happening in entertainment, now, a lot of great movies came out in 1992, in particular, two movies that stuck with me a lot. Um, One, in the beginning of the year, the movie Juice came out, 1992, actually came out January 17th, 1992, with a few days after my 10th birthday. Now, I didn't see the movie in the theaters, obviously. I had sisters that went to go see the movie in the theaters, and it was really a big deal, I remember, amongst her and her friends and people in our neighborhood who were old enough to go see the movie was the first movie that starred Tupac Shakur, his first like feature role in a film. It was a role that gained him a lot of notoriety in regards to his acting skills after he had just really made a, his name on the music scene within the couple of years before that. And the year prior, I came up with his debut album, Tupacalypse Now. And it starred also Omar Epps in his feature role, Jermaine Hopkins, who was also Sam's from Lean On Me, and then Khalil Kane, who played Raheem. <laughs> and the movie was big. It, it wasn't necessarily, like we say, quote-unquote, a hip-hop movie, but I, I really say that it's a hip-hop movie because of the elements that were in it. Those who, you know, not too many spoilers, but Q was a DJ, and one of the central themes in the movie was him getting ready for a DJ competition. It was a movie that I think it stuck with a lot of people. The soundtrack for Juice was phenomenal. Uh, really great songs on there. There were a lot of rappers and people in the hip-hop industry that time who made some cameos and also had some guest appearances. Queen Latifah being them, Tretch as well, EPMD. So, you know, it was a movie that really kind of, it was for those and that my generation and also for the generation in the front of us, my sister's generation, like the latter part of Gen X was a movie that really we were excited about. The other movie that came out in 1992, which struck with me, that stuck with me as well, was Malcolm X, which came out later on in the year, starring Denzel Washington in the title role. And for me, this will always be Denzel's defining role in his career. Despite all the great movies and all the the movies he won the awards for, Glory and Training Day, you know, Hurricane and you know, Devil in a Blue Dress, which is a great movie, by the way. You know, Cry Freedom, all those other great movies. This will always be the defining role in movie to me in Denzel's career. I think this was his finest performance because it's hard to be able to get 
an historical figure like Malcolm X, right? It's hard. If you don't do it, you know, you pretty much face the ridicule of not just the black community, but of the cinema and film and entertainment industry if you don't get it right. But Denzel nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. To the point now when I see someone else playing Malcolm X on a screen, even 30 years later, I'm like, yeah, they good, but they're not Denzel, though, man. <laughs> they're not Denzel, Malcolm X. It was, um, it was great. It was a movie that, you know, having just started when that movie came out, reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, which was co-authored by Alex Haley, um, and finding out things like, you know, Malcolm's background and finding out that his mother was from Grenada, where my family is from. It made me feel a much stronger connection to him, um, being able to know some of these details by reading the book and also by seeing the movie. It really was a great, great, great movie and something that at that age sort of started a period of discovery for me that I would go on for the next several years. And that sort of leads into what would also start happening. What I noticed in 1992 is that you saw a lot of pro-black themes starting to come back in the music, but then also seeing things happening in fashion. Uh, I remember a lot during that time being in stores and seeing people around wearing the Malcolm X hats. Obviously, those X hats were big in 1992. I remember the red, black, and green paraphernalia coming back, red, black, and green being the, you know, uh, pro-black slash pan-African flag, the colors that people fly to be able to show that sort of, like, you know, black unity, um, that symbol. I saw a lot of clothes and, you know, and jewelry and you know all types of things chains that would have the red black and green things the Malcolm X chains the Malcolm X hats like a lot of positive messaging around that that when that movie came out and I would even say that at that point the music and hip-hop well starting I would say in the late 80s really started this anti-establishment kick I mean when you got into dealing with groups like I would say Ghetto Boys and NWA then also dealing with Groups like Two Live Crew from another perspective as far as when it came to censorship. Same thing with NWA. Groups like the X-Clan, Poor Righteous Teachers. You know, you really started to get into this fact where anti-establishment started to go, started to blend into this mix of sort of like pro-black and positivity and consciousness to sort of like, you know, being disrespectful, almost like the way that some of the gangster rap was and some of the messaging and the music that came that was very anti-establishment, anti-government, you know, can't trust them. Sort of like that message you got from Public Enemy heading from the late 80s into the early 90s. Like you saw the like we, it, to me, it seemed like the mixture of it, of it being the two different schools of thought of anti-establishment music started to blend a lot more. They blended for a very brief period of time, I would say, but then they would sort of branch out again by the end of the year, and I'll explain as far as what I mean by that, as far as the direction that music was going. But definitely, that would be the year that, uh, in 92, that music started taking a different, a little bit of a different direction. And what I mean by that is that by the end of the year, you would see that while hip-hop was still very... Very East Coast and New York centric. By the end of the year, it would definitely started its move to being a lot more West Coast centric. And that becomes the beginning of where G-Funk really jumped into overdrive. And the West Coast became really the center of the hip hop universe at that time. 
So we'll talk about some of the music that came out during that time. So just some of the hip hop albums. Now, some of the important rap albums that came out during 1992, you have Daz Effects, Dead Serious. I remember when they came out. I mean, obviously everyone remembers Daz Effects and their style. Gangstar's third album during that time, Daily Operation, Daily Operation, which came out about a, a year or so right after their second album, Step in the Arena, came out, which I thought was their breakout album. Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth's Mecca and the Soul Brother. I mean, nothing more to be said about that. EPMD's and Eric B. and Rakim's last album together as a collective during that period. Now, EPMD would then reunite, but as far as on their run of albums during their first run, this was the last one before they announced their breakup, which was Business Never Personal. And Eric B. and Rakim's last album that they did in 1992, Don't Sweat the Technique. Redman had his debut album, What the Album. Diamond D also had his debut in Stunts, Bluts, and Hip Hop. Ice Cube continued his run into 1992 with The Predator, which the previous two albums, Death Certificate and America's Most Wanted, are most definitely classics. And he had another one right here with The Predator. Farside jumped onto the scene. Bizarre Ride Volume Number 2, which introduced us to The Farside and everything that we loved about them. And everyone that's a fan of The Farside knows what I mean. Um, Arrested Development came onto the scene as well. They were a group that even now, 30 years later, are still making music, but they really jumped onto the scene and the consciousness, the music that they made, I thought was really a breath of fresh air. Their music was really music that I thought that was for everybody. It was for people of, you know, my age when I was like 10 years old, people in my sister's generation, Gen X, and even my parents liked Arrested Development's music. But the big album, obviously, that came out that was towards the end of the year was an album that shifted things culturally. And there are only a few albums like this that come along throughout hip hop and throughout history. And it was this was one of them. Now, I'm talking about none other than Dr. Dre's The Chronic, which came out in December of 1992. And <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll go into the whole, you know, history of The Chronic and what it did for West Coast hip hop, what it did for hip hop all overall and Dr. Dre and what he means to the game when we get to that point. But you know that this album, The Chronic, and this was set into place well before The Chronic, obviously. I mean, you got to give props to DJ Quick, have to give props to Ice Cube and to anyone else from the West Coast during that time, too short. But when the G-Funk era really started and, you know, things like, you know, starting with at least like well, Quick, Quick is the name, then with Death Certificate heading into 1992, The Chronic is really when I think that cultural shift really took a big push over to the West Coast to the point where it began almost, I would say, a two-and-a-half to three-year heavy run of dominance for the West Coast where they were really in control and remained in control of the charts, their tours, the sales. Everything sort of was based around Death Row in particular. But, you know, other West Coast artists also started seeing success as well. And people affiliated with the West Coast, that became the cool thing to be into because their artists were really running things. So just a few of those albums that came out during that time. Other albums that came out during 1992, another landmark R&B album, the debut album of Mary J. Blige, Watch the 411. And, <laughs> you know, Mary has been called the queen of hip hop. So this album came out and it, she was like, I wouldn't say like the first artist to really be this way, but she took the marriage of hip hop and R and B and made it perfect. It was um, for us experiencing her music during that time. And she wasn't like a 
typical R&B chick, if we would say during that, you know, she was different than the school of R&B singers or female R&B singers during that time or her predecessors. She looked and dressed different. She moved different. The things that she sung about were, were different. The music that she sung to was different. For those of us who experienced her during that time, we will never forget, obviously, how that music still makes us feel even 30 years afterwards. Another R&B album during that time that came out, the debut of SWV, It's About Time. And it was uh, an album that really had a lot of singles and they had a lot of radio success. SWV is a group even now to this day that can elicit some emotions out of people with their music that you don't get out of a lot of groups. So that's why I think they really stand out. That was a great year for hip hop and R&B. That is, I would say that year, truly marked to me right around 91 and 92 is when the marriage to hip hop and R&B really became solid. It became that union was really something that started to blossom that we would see that would extend further on into the decade later on. So 1992, y'all, we got a lot of things to get into. We're going to cover juice. We're going to talk about a little bit about uh, boomerang as well. A movie that came out during that year and the great soundtrack. We're going to talk about a lot of these albums reviews for all these albums are coming up. So we want y'all to make sure that y'all are in the loop with us, man. We want y'all to interact with us. Join the private Facebook group, the Vault Podcast Record Club. Make sure you're on vaultclassicpod.com. Join the mailing list. Leave us a voicemail message. And also, make sure you're going to buy me a coffee. That coffee cup on vaultclassicpod.com. Bottom left-hand corner, click that coffee cup. And support the show to ensure that we can keep supporting quality content for y'all on a consistent basis. Of course, you know we do it here all for you. And we want to keep doing it. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition on The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews in any one of our streaming sources. Make sure that you're visiting us on vaultclassicpod.com. There you can get to all of our streaming sources and, of course, all of our social media pages. Again, you can get to us on Instagram at vaultclassicpod, on Twitter at vaultclassic. And on Facebook, make sure you're checking out the Vault Classic Music Reviews page. Also on YouTube as well. Go to the show notes and click in the show notes and get the link to the private Facebook group, the Vault Podcast Record Club. Answer a few questions in your end. We're going to have lots of great things, giveaways, exclusives, and live chats, y'all. It's going to be fun for 2022. We promise to make it live. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.